0: Come on.
1: they're right there let's go move, move 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 move
2: this episode of choices not chances podcast
0: is sponsored by louisiana gun shop located on highway 90 west in broussard louisiana just south of lafayette For more information, stay tuned at the end of this
2: episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan.
0: Today we're joined by a special guest called Rick Green. Rick is here as an army trained Russian Eurasia expert to discuss the Russian invasion of Ukraine one year after the fact. Rick is a former army colonel who served at the U.S. Embassy Moscow from 2000 to 2007, leading counter-terror, counter-proliferation, and threat reduction cooperation efforts with Russian ministries, including the Ministry of the Defense. He was the Harvard University National Security Fellow in 2003, and served in Germany from 96 to 99, assigned as an Arms Control Inspector. He led on-site and international inspection teams throughout Eastern and Central Europe and the former Soviet Union, monitoring treaties and agreements like the Dayton Accords in the former Republic of Yugoslavia, conventional forces in Europe, intermediate nuclear forces, and biological and chemical weapons conventions. Rick is a senior paratrooper and jump master and was assigned in his basic branch military police, served at Fort Bragg with Airborne, Fort Drum, Light Infantry, Fort Hood, Armor, In Texas before he was overseas for his assignments in 1994 he spent six months in Georgia monitoring and reporting progress and ceasefire violations for the United Nations during the Georgian Russian Civil War in 98 just prior to NATO the NATO air campaign to expel Serbian forces from Kosovo Rick was assigned as an organization of security and cooperation in Europe as part of a multinational Kosovo diplomatic observer mission He has worked and traveled and has living experience in over 50 countries, including six years in Germany, six years in Russia, three years in Iraq. Rick is fluent in Russian-speaking, with varying degrees of aptitude in Ukrainian, Bulgarian, Czech, Arabic, German, Spanish, and Serbian. He served in multiple hostile fire zones, including Grenada, Georgia, former Yugoslavia, Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan after he retired. he supported DOD missions and initiatives for over 40 years. He's a patriot and he joins us today to talk about the invasion of Ukraine a year in. We're almost a year into the day and Rick has been generous enough to join and give us an inside look, a deeper look from somebody who truly understands the region, the culture, the people, vladimir putin um at a level that most americans don't understand and so he's gonna answer some questions and um been super excited to make it happen so rick green thanks for coming out appreciate having you on the show man my privilege so today guys uh i guess you could say from the bio from the read-in kind of guess where we're going but i personally have a lot of questions and a lot of um call it concern around geopolitics at the time probably so much so that you know my kids are affected by it <laughs> uh which is not good and i'm trying t- trying to remedy that but you know like my daughter's seven and she asks questions about chinese spy balloons and 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 russian wars in ukraine and, and that means i'm probably doing it wrong so uh but i have questions and i've recently made contact with with rick through um uh, connections at the VFW uh, that we both attend out in Holly Ridge and we kind of had a couple of conversations and he's somebody that is in the know uh, clearly all things Russia and Ukraine or let's say most things and um, I wanted to have him on just to ask questions just to see where we are geopolitically kind of get the backstory of why we're in the situation we're in geopolitically and then maybe what we can expect uh for the future so again rick if you want to start um if we just take it back a little bit back to maybe some of your time spent over there and give us culturally what we're looking at and then kind of the foundational building blocks of the conversation that we're about to have
2: okay ryan thanks again for um asking me to come on the show um much appreciate every opportunity to um, to share my uh my thoughts opinions on uh russia and more succinctly on russia and ukraine because of what's happening i mean we're talking two days from now being the one year anniversary of russia's uh invasion of, uh, of ukraine uh nothing could be more topical right right now and the way that like you spoke of geopolitically the way that branches out into china in europe um the consequences uh, yeah, nothing. As far as kids are concerned, nothing's more important right now. Hmm. Um, so it's. Uh, uh, I retired in two thousand seven from Moscow, from the embassy in in, in Moscow, uh, from the army, and uh, during my retirement speech, I, um, you know, a lot of folks will say, "Well, you're, you're a Russophile. I mean, you you love all things about Russia." Hmm. I said, "No, I'm not a Russophile. I mean, uh, it's." What I spent my career doing, but I consider myself a Blairophile or a Taylorophile, just like you do. Your kids, all right. You love your kids, mm. all right. So I want to know as much as I can know about what's what's going on and what's going to affect them um, long after I'm gone. This is going to be an issue, and they're going to have to deal with it. And if I spent 20 years studying Russia, um, and some of that knowledge helped us craft the framework to work with them long after I'm gone and when my kids and my grandkids have to develop relationships with them, then uh, the work I spent for those 20 years was worth it. Mm. So, it's uh, that's that's why I consider it important. Um, I did spend uh, six years in the embassy in Russia, two, two different tours, uh, two different agencies, uh, Defense Intelligence Agency and the Defense Reduction Agency. Uh, first one was um, working as a military attache and working uh, in coordination and cooperation with uh, our, our um, interagency and, and joint staff to make sure that um, we were communicating properly and, and when necessary uh, coordinating and, and collaborating with uh, our Russian counterparts. And it, that was 2000 and 2002, so you can guess 2001 was right in between there there was a lot of uh, a lot of cooperation mm-hmm. uh, a lot more cooperation than we, obviously we've got now um, and the second tour was 2003 to 2000 end of 2006 I retired in 2007 um, with the defense threat reduction agency and cooperative threat reduction uh, initiatives uh, chemical biological nuclear conventional forces, Type. Um,
0: Is it like counter-proliferation it, works?
2: It, it, yes, yes. Um, a non-proliferation, counter-proliferation. Um, primarily make uh, making sure that uh, those nuclear, biological, chemical, uh, radiological um, weapons or precursors uh, were properly um, secured, properly
0: managed and um, and what countries do you support when you're doing that?
2: Well, I uh, I was stationed in Moscow, uh, but we had offices at the time, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, had offices in um, Kazakhstan, uh, Ukraine, Russia, and Baku in uh, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Um, yeah and we different projects that run any anywhere from um helping the Azerbaijanis um with their their coastal defense forces um they're right there on the caspian sea the iranians have no um respect for uh, the international waters mm. as the caspian sea is concerned they know where the oil is um so w- we trained uh, their coastal defense forces, their marine coastal defense forces, um, to board ships, um, gave them, you know, equipment, uh, just just to help them uh, be a little bit more proactive, be a little, little bit more uh, confident in the way they dealt with uh, security around the, the the Caspian Sea. But um, you know, nuclear weapons uh, in in Russia. Have to be secured. Mm -hmm. Um, Have to be monitored. I mean, we we talked about uh, the uh, Putin just pulling out, uh, basically of at least uh, withdrawing from participation. He didn't really withdraw from the treaty itself, but he withdrew withdrew from the uh, participation of the START treaty. Um, Numbers aren't going to change according to everything I've said. I've seen on. uh, on You mean of weapons. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the warhead count won't, won't change. Um, but it does it, it does th- throw a cloak over it a little bit, and uh, we won't have as much transparency as we, we would have liked. And that, that treaty ends in February of, of uh, 26 anyway, so that really only gives us three years to uh, map out something uh, that has common ground between the, the, the two countries. I, I'm hopeful that we can do that.
0: Yeah, I'm hopeful that we can do that too, and especially with like it doesn't need to get to that again if it gets to that we're all uh the kids are in a different situation right yeah they'll be hiding Um, under their desks again we've been operating under mutually assured destruction policy for 50 plus years and um what bothers me in recent technological advancements is you know near peer nation states like china or russia talking about having advanced delivery vehicles for these warheads because then it's if you have an advanced delivery system Mutually assured destruction policy kind of gets tampered with a little bit, or, or changed outright. So, um, it's interesting. It's I, I don't want it. I don't mean for it to be scary, but it is one of those things that you don't want to be ignorant about. No,
2: it's got to be managed. It's, yeah. it's definitely got to be ma- managed, um, at least bilaterally, if mm. not um, uh, universally. Um, it's it, yeah. It's mm. it's ex- 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 existential i mean it it could certainly end the world you're right
0: yeah yeah i don't like that um going back a second to azerbaijan at what time were you helping them out like um, year-wise
2: yeah that was probably um
0: 2004 five so before armenia and
2: no, I mean Armenia and Azerbaijan has been uh, the most recent uh, incursions in uh, mm-hmm. Nagorno-Karabakh. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's been going on for um, decades. Uh, yeah. So it was it was during the time that um, Armenia and Azerbaijan were um, considered still still at war. Mm-hmm. So the assistance that we were providing to Azerbaijan. Um, was was closely monitored and managed sure. um, by um, the the government of Armenia, um, and we we have a agreement. Or at the time, we had an agreement that if you know we provided assistance uh, to one country, we would provide um, something in like to uh, to to the other com- country, just to uh, make sure that the balance of power was. Uh, was where it needed to be and and we didn't provide any offensive capability to mm-hmm. the uh, Azerbaijanis uh, we we helped them um, manage their area of the Caspian Sea um, uh, more effect- effectively more efficiently
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha well it was just an interesting little thing because I did a little bit of research when I was covering you know the uprising drone warfare. And Azerbaijan and um, Armenia's war was one of the highlights, at least for, you know, I think General Berger and some of the commandant staff when trying to, you know, um, with this new force design, with looking at what to keep, what to go away. I think we learned a lot from that battle uh, or that war, especially with UABs.
2: I'm certain both of you. Armenians and the Azerbaijanis learned a lot <laughs> yeah. um, not only offensive use of drones but uh, how, how you know how counter drone operations are important as mm. well and and one of those two countries suffered much much more from from drones than the other and yeah it was a it was a big learning experience and russians uh, were were into that as well
0: mm-hmm. I think everybody's into it now okay, so where do we move on from there so let's let's talk about um before when we were talking offline, leading up to, you know, almost a year ago, leading up to the invasion of Ukraine, let's say the 12 months working up to it it seemed to be that not a lot of people were taking it serious. It seemed to be you know, and I what do I know, I only have open source, but it seemed to me like we weren't really expecting that to happen. What's your view on that? Or what's your take on that?
2: Well, I mean, that's all I have is open source as well. It's just I have a, I read a lot of open source uh, material, you know, whether it's uh, in English or in, in a language that mm-hmm. I, that I can read, um, and I still have enough contacts, you know, all over that I get um, open source information that 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 other folks don't um, get a chance to read. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of it's not worth reading, some of it is and it, it, it all comes together. you know if you read enough of it, there's you can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, I was pretty sure that he was coming very early. Um, I think a lot of folks were it's just that they didn't want to say either because they really were hoping that it wasn't w- what was going to happen or that's um, just that's the policy that we had um i'm I'm not sure. Um, but his array of forces, what he was bringing up as close to the, the border as he was, and, and this is real easy now, Monday morning quarterback and looking back at it, but I, I can, I mean, I had five or six people ask for my opinion on what I thought. Nobody, nobody important, obviously, just friends, but they were all curious. And um, I said, yeah, it's, it's a no brainer for me. You know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But mm-hmm. um, from what he's um, mustering, uh, you know, on the other side of the border, as far as order of battle is concerned, um, and the numbers, the sheer numbers, and the fact that I know because I've been on site um, dozens of Russian military facilities, um, I I know. I have a better feel for what it takes to move those forces out of garrison and keep them out of garrison for as long as he has.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's not an exercise. He's not going to spend, he doesn't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he, he, yeah, this is, yeah. he means business. And sure enough, uh, that's what happened uh, a year yeah. ago in two days.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I had asked several people myself about what they thought, especially, you know, leading right up to, when he came across a couple of days and they're like "Nah, man it's just a show of force and I'm like man that many people that much equipment is that close to the border you know it seemed to me and you know of course I don't want a Monday morning quarterback either uh but at the time I was saying that like you don't you don't move that much of your resource um but be that as it may you know It's not about being right or wrong. It's about where do we go and how do we fix it and, you know, what's the best policy moving forward. So um, I think we'll, you you know more about this by far than me. So I'm just going to ask you to kind of take the reins as far as what you've seen, where you feel like we are a year in, what it looks like uh, now, um, both losses on both sides, consequences, and then. Uh, you know where we intend or where you see us going from here
2: all right um, the losses are staggering I mean that's just just what our estimates are um, two hundred thousand uh, killed and, and and wounded not able to return to battle on the Russian side alone um, and that, that and that goes up it has skyrocketed here in the last couple of months i I would watch the numbers I get a daily uh, map drop and you know some equipment and personnel numbers uh, just analysts that um, are tracking that mm-hmm. and I mean everyone anybody that was watching those numbers watched it as it crept up closer and closer and closer to 100 K and then in about six weeks it went from you know 100 K to 150
0: K what changed in that six weeks um,
2: the the Russians pushed um, harder. Um, Wagner Group and it's um, emptying the prisons, the convicts that they hired and uh, using them for cannon fodder, um, pushing them, you know, pushing them right out front and um, gaining a little bit of ground, but losing thousands mm-hmm. uh, because of it. I would guess that was the the primary boost in in those numbers. Um, The numbers haven't slowed. That slope is is probably fairly similar here in the last couple of weeks, and that's because they're pushing hard. The Russians are pushing hard to try to get as much ground as possible before main battle tanks are introduced, um, western main battle tanks are introduced. That's close. Mm. Um, I think uh, maybe... Two weeks i would guess at least for the uh, uh, uh the german tanks um our you know our tanks maybe the the, the british t- tanks the, the chieftains and uh, and and our abrams are probably a little bit further down but the leopards are are, are i think are cl- close to being introduced to ukraine a, I, yep mm-hmm. um the the issue is going to be uh maintenance and sustainment they're gonna they're smart they're very capable um uh war fighters so um they're they're gonna get their heads around the bradleys and the in the main battle tanks i think very very quickly um and i i think their use um tactically is going to surprise the russians um the issue, like I said, is going to be sustainment and maintenance, but we all, we, everyone knew that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's whenever you give major um, pieces of equipment to, to another co- country, um, uh, sustainment and maintenance are a big big part of that. It's just, you know, that's a three-headed da- dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I did read something. Uh, I forgot the source now. It was uh, something came in over the Internet that said uh, uh, troops, U.S. troops, and weren't going to be on the ground but the chances of u.s contractors uh assisting in that maintenance and sustainment of, of uh of the new equipment was uh was more than likely to mm-hmm. happen um so it still keeps boots off the ground u.s contractors
0: not a mil not a military show not a they not they an count, american face they not count as boots yeah i think we already have like mercenary contractors over there helping out we, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's we do. Some of my yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's, yeah so. there's, there's, there's
2: Americans that are fighting right now. Uh, it's just that sustainment and that uh, maintenance piece, I think, is probably going to be let as a contract.
0: And- let me ask you this a lot of people have suggested that the main forces that have I- invaded Ukraine and fought there have been cons- conscripts and old equipment and out, almost seeming outdated. Is that true? And if it is true, is that by design? Is there a whole lot of extra stuff in the back that he hasn't used is what I'm saying?
2: Um, he, he does have a reserve. I don't think it's a, a whole lot of extra. Um, I will tell you that uh, as, as far as I can recall, the first group of forces that he lost were um, some of the elite airborne forces that that uh, took Control of the Kiev um, airport, mm-hmm. and then had to had to fall back or were destroyed. Uh, so he has he has used elite forces. Um, their army is heavily conscripted, anyways. So um, their concept of a professional service uh, is nothing like like we're, we've been used to here for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, just a little, another vignette. I would, um, on-site inspections that we would do uh, on Russian uh, bases. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Air Force, Army, you know, uh, their Marines, Coastal Defense Forces. um, Pretty much... A protocol and a a schedule event, so these inspections are, are mandated by the senate so there 's a there 's a, a treaty book that you follow there 's a set of steps and certain things that have to be inspected while you 're on site <clears throat> and and part of that process is giving a briefing um, to if you 're inspecting to the escort team the host team that 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 you 're in so We'd go to a, a Russian base, and uh, the host would would brief first, and um, uh, they'd have O sixes, you know, colonels lieutenant colonels, doing all the briefing, and uh, all the running around in the background was usually done by majors. Um, we'd get time to do our our briefing, and uh, it's all my NCOs. I'd have E sixes, E sevens briefing I, everything that we were doing and every time we did that um, I got two responses either they were really angry because they thought we were trying to show them up because our NCO Corps were so professional mm-hmm. or they were just so envious it was like they they'd shaking their heads and mm-hmm. they knew it was off the record so they could basically speak speak freely but they were so in awe of what our Professional soldiers could do, and they would never trust um, any of their um, NCOs or even their their proper sheiks, their uh, um, warrant officers, to do something like that. Mm. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's why they had O5s you know, and O6s doing what I had E6s, E7s doing, and my guys are knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And they, I mean, they just. And they knew it too. they had stand up there, and they knew what they were doing, and and uh, it just, and they knew what kind of uh, looks they were getting. So it, it was just that's. I mean, that's where you promote a professional army. Oh yeah. All right, because uh, that wasn't that, that that message got sent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Got sent multiple times at the to the highest levels. There's no doubt about it. Is it,
0: this cultural? Because all the people i fought are the same way they didn't trust any of their underlies it was always the top boss that would talk to anybody uh of esteem from our side is it a cultural thing or is it just they do it wrong
2: um it's, it's probably uh historical and cultural um a lot of countries uh uh are, are like that i mean you you, uh, you said a lot of the folks that you that you fought against were, were the same were the same way so certainly the Middle Eastern armies a lot of them are like that those that have turned the corner and have become more professional have uh, have picked up our model um, and I mean all the European countries that I ever worked with alongside of um, they all have Um professional um non-commissioned officer corps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I know it's cliche but it's a backbone of the army i mean it, it, they do the work they do everything that needs to be done um to get the job done mm-hmm. so it's no it was just uh, yeah that's that's i spoke uh as as highly and as often as i could about the teams that we uh that i went in with because i had i had one thing to do uh if if i was a deputy team chief or the team chief had had one thing to do um and then all the rest of the work that was done whether it was a weapon specialist uh doing his job or a, a interpreter a translator doing their job uh it yeah it, it we couldn't have done it with 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 anything short of the teams that we we brought in they were mm-hmm. just but yeah, it's it is it's 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 cultural and historical. It's just um, yeah, I guess you could say it's part of the you know communist party psyche that uh, you know only the, the the top brass gets to understand what's going on. That's what's going on right now. In the, in, yeah, I think in that's Russia. their
0: downfall too. At um, least well, it seems like it would be to me because like the way that we work is with a decentralized chain of command and uh, you know, ever flowing information and fusion up and down. And I feel like if I didn't know why I was fighting and you didn't tell me the big picture and I don't have enough to give you everything. Um, and we figured that out. It just seems culturally ingrained, like you're saying in them, that it's a top couple of people that are going to be, uh, orchestrating the show.
2: The lessons learned that we've, uh, that's come out of, uh, Ukraine here, um, so far are, are, are a lot of them are just that that they don't have enough um flexibility mm-hmm. um and that impacts not only uh, tactical you know movement on the ground of um of uh, you know offensive forces but also uh, the tail of that uh, operation the logistics part of that yeah. operation and it's like, yeah it's it, that's you when they when the um the list of lessons learned comes out and it's it, little by little they have already but uh it's it's going to be obvious to all of us and it'll be obvious to the russians as well mm-hmm. that their uh their blueprint is just i mean
0: the russian army was one that i revered and like almost kind of like was, was like man if we go there it's gonna be on And then watching it unfold, I kept waiting for it to get better. And it's like, their tactics didn't look good. They still don't look good. Their logistics looked terrible. I mean, vehicles out of power, out of fuel, you know, lined up. And I'm like, you do that against the United States, man. Or NATO. Or anybody in NATO, like, you're going to get wrecked quick. And so I think, you know, maybe a lot of that's our... You can call it privilege if you want, but we've been practicing for 22 years, or so. You know, in a main war with big logistics and across the pond, and we got that. Sh- we got that shit down. Seemingly, when you watch the other world powers come out, not going across any kind of big logistical, uh, you know, ocean, let's say, and not doing that, and coming across on the ground, and you run out of fuel, and you run out of these things, and then you're taking losses like this. I, I don't fear it anymore, right? But it's just very telling the nations that have been at war versus the nations who haven't been at war for twenty years. It just showed through. So
2: Russia's been uh, in in conflict uh, for decades in in certain certain areas, um, but they've they've never really went toe to toe with an adversary. Um, there's certainly nothing like. Like us, and probably nothing like anything that exists in in NATO now. So, mm-hmm. um,
0: do you think it's humbled um, them?
2: It's humbled some. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also emboldened some. Um, that's why you're getting the rhetoric that you're getting out of um, out of the Kremlin. Um, arguably, Russia is the weakest it's been militarily uh, in my lifetime. Right now, yep, yep. Um, for a number of reasons, um, and arguably NATO is the strongest it's been in my lifetime. Um, th- that's a that's a math problem that uh, could have significant consequences.
0: Um, you mean by desperation? Yeah, I yeah, mean it's just because that's what it gets to, right? I mean that's,
2: I mean, yeah, it it could have um, consequences uh, that are extremely positive. You know because you know handwriting's on the wall. Um, the Kremlin recognizes that uh, they need some real and significant overhauls. They talked reform for decades. Talked reform the whole time that I was there, and um, it, and very little of it came to fruition. Um,
0: reform in what ways? Um, Militarily? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that just didn't happen.
2: Yeah, their Ministry of Defense, uh, like our def- Department of Defense, mm-hmm. um, every year had some sort of uh, reform initiative. And um, they, they did reorganize a little bit, and that did, I don't know if it helped, but it, on paper it, it, it was a success as mm-hmm. far as what they wanted to do and what they ended up doing. Um, I don't know if that was any more than shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic, though. Um, We'll see. Yeah,
0: check. Now, let's talk, let's, let's switch over. And then we'll go back, you know, after a bit. But let's talk Ukraine for a minute. Can you can you speak to uh, Volodymyr Zelensky and his, um, let's call it the stoicism uh, to, to his rise, because I did a little research from my new book on him, and have a chapter dedicated to the emergence of leadership. And He's one of those cases where he merged at a time or his leadership has emerged at a time that was aligned with the stars, in my opinion, and then used his stoic attitude to... uh, resolve for the ukrainian people to not just bring his own people into fight but to bring my people into fight and people of a bunch of different countries said now we'll follow him or we'll go fight for him and do you have something to i mean he's he's definitely have?
2: going to be a case study i mean for for a long time people are going to look at it and say how how did this work mm-hmm. how, how was this successful it's ukraine they're not renowned for world leaders all right, and this this guy stepped up. Um and he's performed. And it's not a it's not it's not a one man show, just like our commander in chief's not a one man show. Um he's the people that he's got working with him are, are confident. They have the confidence of, of the people. Um yeah, he's um like I said, he's he's going to be a case study for a long time.
0: What's interesting is he kind of got his claim to fame through Hollywood, right? there Hollywood, yeah. through, um, through a TV show. Uh, the name of it is escaping me right now. But essentially, he was a teacher and ran for president of their country on a non-corruption platform.
2: He's a comedian, actually.
0: And a comedian. Yeah, yeah. And before that, I think he went to school for law but didn't like it. Uh, and his parents were a little bit upset that he wasn't going to pursue that but what's interesting he runs this whole show as this anti-corruption gonna save the sanctity of ukraine and then they run for president for real off the popularity of the show and even call his platform they name it after the show his his actual political platform and then he wins and then through stoic leadership some of his opposition now work as generals in his army for him which is just insane to me um so it's a it's one of those stories and people you know i don't know much you know much other than what i've read but there's some cool things especially when you're completely in the eyes of the world outmatched and outgunned and then giving you know the united states gives you a way out and you're like nah no we're gonna stay here and fight i think that for the warrior in me and the warriors i'm sure over there fighting now it's like oh no that's what we that's 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 what we follow
2: he published a book uh 2021 uh if you don't have it uh, it's just it's just it's a small book but it's uh
0: Zelensky? yeah if okay. you don't
2: have it I'll I'll, I'll I'll drop it off but uh, uh at least one of the two uh, famous quotes that he has is in the book and that's when we offered to evacuate him. He said, I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. That's right. Okay. And then uh, the the other one is... Um, I wrote it down to... Ah, it's, yeah, it's, it's critical. Um, if Russia stops fighting, the war ends. If Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine ends.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so... I mean, that's 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 in the hearts of every Ukrainian that's that's well, probably every Ukrainian, but certainly all the Ukrainians that uh, that are um, face to face, nose to nose with uh, with Russian forces right now. Yeah. And they know if they stop fighting, um Ukraine goes away. I mean that's Putin's goal.
0: Yeah. What do you think um what do you think the propensity is for Volodymyr Zelensky to use offensive weapons and push past Ukraine onto Russia?
2: I don't think, um, I don't think that would be his intent. Um, I, th- I think he's got the capability now. He's uh, somebody has struck into certain. Uh, ammo depots and certain airfields with with drones uh, already, hmm. um, and he probably does have the uh, artillery capabilities as, as well. And if it's to interdict supply and uh, you know military targets, purely mil- military targets, um, then I, I would suspect that 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 would be a uh, a new phase of the operation, um, and if it was effective, we, he'd continue to, to do that. Um, I've long said that um, a buffer zone needs to be created between the... the um,
0: like a demilitarized zone the, in between the them?
2: a DMZ of some sort. Um, and that way, uh, they give us a little bit more warning time, you know, if, if there was any belligerence or uh, aggressiveness. Um, and, um, it's, it sends a signal that this is, your behavior is unacceptable. And this is what happens. Um, not only did you not get the ground that you thought you deserved, but you lost territory yeah. as well. That's a big, that's a big deal that, uh, Putin's not going to lose land, Russian land like that. Not, not quietly. See, that's
0: where I get nervous because it's like. Let's say he does start losing land. Well, he has nuclear weapons.
2: He has low-yield nuclear weapons that he can use on the battlefield. Absolutely.
0: And it's like, will he? Well, I don't know. He's getting older. He's getting close to the end of what would be a male Russian's lifespan on average, I would think. He's past that. Yeah, and I think he knows that. And yeah, he's not your average Russian. And now. what? Yeah, yeah, he's not. He's not. That's a fact. What What do you think? Um, what does it look? What does loss look like? For who? like for Putin, is is that is, even an option? Um, because if he loses in at the head of two hundred plus thousand uh, Russian sons, like at some point the Russian people are going to be kind of fed up. I think with that. And if he loses power, what happens to him?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, I'd be more concerned with what happens to us if if he loses power. I mean,
0: I uh, how he, do you mean?
2: I was told when he came in, I, I took a language re- refresher course in uh, late 1999. In um, some Russian emigres, we, we talked because that they elevate the uh, the, the conversation. Uh, to geopolitics to, to see if you can, you know, reach a a three or or a four level out of five on, on your language skills. Okay. And, um, we talked about Yeltsin, uh, stepping down and, um, and, and Putin taking over that happened on December 31st, 1999. And, um, I was all for stronger, firmer, more reliable leadership in Yeltsin than, than Yeltsin. I mean yeltsin and clinton got along well we we got our uh we found common ground uh a, a lot more than than probably with any other um russian or soviet leader under under yeltsin um so and but it i also watched the economy tank um in in russia and i watched the voucher system That they had established be corrupted and and people's life savings stolen. I watched the ruble rate um, at at zero after zero after zero, and um, so it wasn't wasn't good. It was I thought the instability that type of instability was more dangerous. So I said, "No, it's time." Russia's always loved a firm hand, uh, whether it was a czar or 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 a communist party leader. Um, It's a it's a federation of um, Russian states republics whatever you want to whatever you want to call them it's it's um it needs to be held together firmly um and so i I said i I, i'm looking forward to the change and sure enough the instructor was russian emigre, um she said uh be careful what you wish for so that leopard doesn't change its spots he's a kgb colonel that that doesn't Get switched off just because mm-hmm. he's the president of Russia now, mm-hmm. and she was right. She was absolutely right. Um, Dmitry Medvedev, who was president when the Russian constitution didn't allow Putin to to do a third term, so Putin dropped down to be PM. I'm, I'm certainly ran the show, anyways, um, for those four years that Medvedev was president, and then. Um, then he he's come right back in and um they've changed the constitution and 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 who knows how long he's got he's got elections coming up in 2024
0: yeah but there's no real
2: opposition right there is um and cracks are starting to form uh okay. i i did i read a couple of things here recently medvedev just today i read um said it'll be a disaster uh if uh russia loses um it, he's right but he's all he could also be just playing that card like we can't you can't afford guys china you can't afford to let russia lose Mm -hmm. you know iran you can't afford to let russia lose whoever is germany if you're listening you can't afford to have russia lose all right because like i just said i mean it's just the the confederation or the federation the russian federation would splinter um
0: what does that look like
2: what a splintered russian federation it's a it's a disaster. Mm. I mean, you, you're talking probably the confederation of North Caucasus states uh, in 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 the south, um, break potentially breaking away. They know how much oil they've got down there. They they know that they could sustain them, themselves if they didn't have a central army that could contain them. Um, Siberia. Um, I mean, there's not there's not an awful lot.
0: What happens to nuclear weapons?
2: That's see, that's 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 the bigger concern. That's the number one concern. What because they're they they are in different places, mm-hmm. all over the, uh, um, the the Russian Federation. Um, and worst casing it, they lose control.
0: What's that mean? They lose control though. Like we take control? NATO takes control.
2: My opinion, if if they lost control um we may very well offer to assist um what to keep them stable uh, uh, yeah and keep them out of the hands of um elements that uh uh, could could use them just to uh, uh, promote their own profile even you know if it was uh, an an area that uh, was looking to elevate its its uh, stature on on the world stage uh, uh, using a nuclear weapon would do that, mm-hmm. um, but I I would guess we do we've done it for a long time uh, working with the Russians to help them secure and manage and um, keep safe uh, their nuclear arsenal. Um, the Cooperative Threat Reduction um, Initiative that was Nunn-Lugar um, spent. Uh, uh, I think it's like ten billion dollars in ten years to, to and it, it's and it's multinational. It's not just the U.S. Yeah, to to help them um, do just that: manage, uh, secure, store, um, up upkeep, yeah. upgrade if they needed to, um, just to, to make it less dangerous. Um, that that program successful. That that program when Luger was um, getting ready to retire from Indiana or illinois illinois um he uh, he brought his protege in to uh, um take help take control of the uh, of the uh, the program uh, with senator uh, nunn out of georgia Uh senator barack obama so he came to russia i met him at the uh, airport in uh, uh just outside of moscow um, very very capable very uh interested um and he toured uh multiple sites in uh in, in russia and then uh it took- t- took over the helm of the program from um luger until uh and and until he ran for president um yeah i mean i, I got a chance to meet bush when he came in that was you know it was it was more cool for the other guys uh, he was getting, he just he worked the crowd and uh, he's getting ready to bolt out the door. And uh, I mean, I'll, we're all in our Class A's. It's, and it's a joint assignment. So there's Marines, there's mm-hmm. Air Force, there's Army. And um, yeah, I mean, the whole uh, auditorium was filled with flags and everything. And I'm saying, Mr. President, you got time for a quick picture with all the uh, troops? If secret service had laser eyes, I'd have been fried because he was getting ready to go out the door. And I, I there was no other good opportunity. And I did not want to miss this opportunity to get those guys mm-hmm. and gals that we had uh, on our team, both the, uh, the attache team and the, uh, um, the defense threat reduction team. I mean, it's just, they don't get an opportunity like that. So we lined them all up, put nice, it's a great photo. They love the photo. I, I'm certain it's a, a, um, a highlight of uh, of of their military career, one of them, anyways. Uh, yeah, I took uh, a bit of a browbeaten. Uh, <laughs> I bet you did, because we got the picture. But the picture is fantastic.
0: It's, That's great. Yeah, got to show it to me. I want to see that one. Um, where do we stand now? With what? as far as what do you see in the next, let's say, six to eight weeks, couple of months? Yeah. I know you said introducing maybe tanks and things of that nature soon, but what do you, what do you see as the conflict in general going from here um
2: i mean I don't have a crystal ball yeah you know and um the those folks that are you know giving their opinions um you know on television and everything i mean they they've got staffs uh, they've got a lot more experience at much higher levels than I do. So they're, they're, they're in the know. But um, I've long said this, this ends in Crimea. Um, when that phase of the war starts, um, uh, and it, it starts next with the introduction of main battle tanks and upgraded uh, infantry fighting vehicles, um, and then um, perhaps longer-range artillery, um no need to upgrade um air forces right now, I don't think not with the the current air situation um you know moving uh, SU25 frofoots what they've got right now and a10s uh they're comparable in a lot of different ways upgraded a10s maybe certainly an upgrade um and close air support for uh, those types of um uh, aircraft would um that capability would help, no, no doubt. Especially if the Russians started just flooding uh, the the area, um, coming across the border, you know, um, in in hordes. I, I don't see that. I don't see that happening really. Mm. Um, so, I, I see uh, advances made uh, in, in the east. The Ukrainian advances made in the east. And like Donbas and past. yeah, 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 Lukans and um, Donetsk, mm-hmm. and then Kherson in the south, mm-hmm. um, Zaporizhia. Um,
0: is Russian still ho- is the Russians still holding those those places right now? That
2: certainly uh, Lukans,
0: or is that just kind of the line coming down around? Well,
2: that's. They certainly are holding significant parts of Lukánsk and Donetsk in the northern part of that eastern region. Okay. As you swing down ha- half moon like, um, they have moved out of Kherson. Um, Kherson
0: uh, was bad for for a while. Yep, yeah, and you
2: know. uh, and it was bad on the way out too. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing le- they'd like better than to be able to say they've rec- rec- reclaimed that. Once once that has been taken, I think. Um, Care, Sean? no, uh, that that whole eastern flank, okay. that whole whole eastern uh, um, area, or at least when it looks as if control is um, working in Ukrainians um, at, at advantage, uh, then they can focus on uh, Crimea. Uh, that that's why I think it ends there. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, Russia's not going to let Crimea go. Um, That's where it's going to get bad. Yeah. So it's, it's either... How far
0: out from them taking Crimea do you think we are? Um, you know, with the current... You know,
2: most, most people are very um, either cautious or pessimistic about the timeline. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's this year.
0: I was going to say, the longer they draw that out, the more money it's costing everybody and lives and everything else. I would yeah, think they'd want a, to get there. A
2: war of attrition favors Russia, so yeah. they. Uh, Ukraine knows that. Yeah. So um, it depends on you know how the next phase unfolds.
0: What what, what is, what's the next phase? It's Battle the, tanks. Yeah, it's the it's yeah.
2: the introduction of upgraded armor. Um, yeah. uh, good 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 tank story um, and. Uh, Georgian Abkhaz civil war in 1994. Uh, Russians all over it. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, but I'm set in and I'm on the Nguri River, which is the line of demarcation between the breakaway Abkhazian uh, Republic uh, on the Black Sea, which borders Sochi, Russia on, mm-hmm. the, on the north, and uh, the rest of, of, of Georgia, that's us Inguri river flows into the black sea and up from the Carpathian mountains. Um, and so it's, 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 a, it's, I mean, it's a big, it's a big, big line of demarcation. So uh, it, bridges are all gone. I'm sitting on, uh, the Abkhaz side and, uh, an Abkhaz, I hear the ground rumbling around me. I'm in a Jeep Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And I hear uh, the ground behind me rumbling. I'm like, oh, this can't be good. I mean, because I've seen MLTBs. I've seen BTR-60s. I know what, how the ground operates. You don't even hear them hardly. Uh, you don't feel them anyways. You feel the ground shake behind you? It's something a little bit bigger. <laughs> so I look up behind me, and sure enough, it's a T-72. It's a pretty, pretty good-sized tank. Mm-hmm. And it's sitting on a ridge line right behind me, uh, about 50, 60 feet, probably, with his main gun pointed across the river, and I—he's uh, got my my exit blocked. But I can't go across this. No, I can't go across the bridge. Um, He's—he may have intentionally blocked, blocked my exit, but uh, there was no malintent. He came down, and talked to me, and uh, we're—you know—just talking. You know, and uh, actually, had lunch on the hood <laughs> of my uh, my my jeep in. Uh, um, so I knew he wasn't trying to to, to block my exit. Mm-hmm. He just that's the best place for him to uh, to position his jeep. And uh, we're halfway through the lunch or so, and all of a sudden the ground starts shaking again. And I said, "You got something else coming?" He said, "No, just me." I said, "Okay." <laughs> I look across the river. Here comes another tank, and I'm, I'm and it's on the Georgian side. That is me, he's got his tube pointing right over. You know, right at us because he's pointing at the other tank and um he's heading our way and and I, the guy i'm packing up i'm getting ready to go <laughs> lunch is over and I says i don't need to be between two tanks yep. um and uh he says what's the matter i said the georgians have are, are positioning a tank Right across the river, you know, um, 300, 400 meters. I don't know what it was. Maybe 1,000 meters. I, back then, I don't remember.
0: That's still not that far for a tank. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, but it was far enough. And, and he said, sit down. He says, what kind of tank is that? He said, I said, it's a T-62. I said, oh, he said, okay. He said, what kind of tank do I got? He said, you know, it's a T-72. He says, you think that tank commander knows what kind of tank I got? He says, yeah, he can see it just like I can see it. He knows it's a T-72. He says, do you... Do you think he thinks that I know what kind of tank he's got, a T-62? He says, yeah. He says, okay, we both understand. He knows he can't hit me, and if he gets close enough to hit me, he's well within my range. He hasn't got a chance to get a shot off. So Nobody's shooting anybody today, all right? He's just sitting over there because he's just, you know, like a a dog marking his territory. He saw me pull up in a T-72. He's pulling up in a a T-64, and he says, eat your lunch. It's uh no there'll really be no tank battle here today.
0: Well thank god. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be nerve-wracking though for sure, yeah, especially it's... when you're sitting in a Jeep. Yeah. Un-
2: unarmored uh Jeep un- Cherokee. Un-
0: unarmored Jeep Cher- Cherokee.
2: <laughs> White at that so that you could plainly see me.
0: Oh man. That's insane that's insane. That's insane.
2: Yeah, but tanks tanks are going to be a difference maker. You're going to see that in the next few weeks. Um yeah, and then uh, we'll have to see how the uh, Russian people
0: react. Do you think that there's like Operation Valkyries being planned right now to take Putin out, or are they pretty united on that front?
2: No, there's cracks. Yeah. I, all the stuff that you're reading, all the stuff that, that I read, uh, are the cracks that are forming. Uh, months ago, it, it wasn't really spoken of. Way you know, conspiracists, mm-hmm. and some somebody that thought that. Um, wishful thinking that they were going to get Navalny out of prison, which could very easily happen mm-hmm. if, if there was a, uh, a, a, a change. Um, so he's got his critics, and the ones that are uh, exiled or abroad, uh, you know, sneak in a you know a, a critical remark every now and then. But most recently, uh, businessmen, oligarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, even some politicians, and certainly some, some military commanders even, have um, been less, noticeably less supportive. Uh, so that's, that's the, you know, cracks are forming.
0: seems like he was paranoid too to me, and maybe it was more over COVID, but anything that I'd see or read, say he's sitting 20 and 30 feet away from people at the head of a table, not letting anybody close to him. Do you think that's paranoia of that type of operation?
2: some of it some of it some of it could have been legit COVID concerns um i i was in the camp that he was sick um uh national intelligence director cia director you know um, my ambassador in in russia bill burns um was uh, publicly acknowledged that that uh, we weren't concerned about his 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 health yeah um uh just for me watching interviews and everything i i was in I was in a camp that supported that. I thought he was um, not as healthy as he uh, had had been previously, but I mean that could have just been age too. You're right. Do you, I don't right now. Last time I looked, it might have been 68 male life expectancy um, in 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 Russia, um, and he's he's over that. Mm-hmm. He's taken care of. Okay. He's definitely taken care of. Um, but it, it could be a lot of different things that are that could be wrong with him.
0: I mm-hmm. always worried since this started, I worried that the the KGB operative inside him wants to restore the Soviet Union to yeah, Mother Russia. And absolutely knowing that you're late on age and you vow that before your own God and your people that you're going to do it, maybe this is his last attempt at trying to restore that knowing that he's waning or that his time is waning? Um, or or is it is it uh, geopolitical power, making it the right time for him? And I don't I don't like getting political or talking politics too much on my show. But this didn't happen under Trump. Um, and didn't happen under Obama. Yeah, some I- of it may have started under those but do you think that this was going to happen regardless of who was at the helm over here?
2: I, I do, yeah, I, I do, um, and I, uh, I applaud the commander in chief for just the last few movements that he's that he's done. It's uh, it's it's really sent the right signal to NATO, to Russia, to Ukraine, to China, mm-hmm. even. Um, this uh, it's that which is happening right right now in Europe is is not lost on on China. They're looking at it. That's why they haven't jumped in. You know, full, both feet. Behind uh, the Kremlin uh, is because they, they see um, um, cracks. Yeah, and if that and, and handwriting very well could be uh, on the wall from 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 their perspective. I uh, they the Russians have a uh, a friendship day uh, every every year where they celebrate the uh, the relationship between uh, China and and Russia. Um, It's usually held at the Chinese embassy. Uh, Chinese embassy in Moscow is the biggest embassy in Moscow. That's the way states operate. It's reciprocal, which means that in Beijing, the largest embassy that they got there is the Russian embassy. Um, But this Friendship Day um, spread. The reception is, is phenomenal, huge, big fanfare, just All the Russian generals you'd want to see, um, all the Chinese dignitaries that were in country at the time. Just a a great event for for an attaché to attend. And um, I spoke to a Russian four-star at the time that said he had been um, stationed as a Soviet officer on the Kazakh border, um, monitoring... uh, the, the area of China across from the border, and he said, um, you know, I'd be out there um, on on platform and I'd be looking out across the the, uh, the the border, and for miles, all you can see is people. I mean, it's just so densely populated. Even in that area, it's just people, people, people. It's just it's just mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And the same reception, I'm over, you know, talking to um, a, a Chinese two-star, and uh, he just happened to share the same vignettes. Says, how I was stationed on the uh, the, the Chinese-Kazakhstan uh, Kazakh, uh, border, uh, probably around the same time. They could have easily been looking at each other. <laughs> and he said, um, I can remember looking across the border into Russia and seeing nothing but open fields and land for as far as you could see either birch trees or or tundra of some sort or or some sort of um uh wheat being being cultivated it's just beautiful 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 And, uh, and, uh, and it resonated so much that two people could be standing you know hundreds of feet away from each other probably looking and seeing two completely different things two different worlds yeah and um, that's, that's the point, exactly. I mean, Russia's view on the world and China's view on the world, uh, except where they have common ground And this one. Common ground is uh, tr- trying to weaken uh, the status of the United States. Um, that's, that, and that's, that's a common ground. They will seek that type of common ground. But other than that, I'm, I'm not sure there's an awful lot of... Um, you know, certainly not camaraderie, and there's—I don't, I don't know how how many times those interests lines intersect.
0: Mm, I see what you're saying. So the common denominator when they are nice with each other is us.
2: Yeah, just like same same thing with a couple other countries as well.
0: Well, mm. question—you know—recent news is that Xi Jinping is vowing that he'll put lethal aid behind Russia. Uh, And and helps with them, with Ukraine. And also, I think they've already a a little bit propped up the ruble. Am I wrong? Or the ruble. Am I wrong in that?
2: Um, I don't know about propping up the ruble. I mean, they probably stopped the free fall a a little bit because um, China's one of those countries that's not participating in the sanction regime. regime. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Turkey, North Korea, um, Iran. All the communist countries, mains? Well, certainly... Uh, countries who don't have great relationships except except for Turkey with with um and the, the the fact that they are helping uh Russia skirt sanctions um it probably does um help the economy and 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 uh, directly in, impacts the uh, um rise or fall of the of the ruble um Or, the sanctions are are working mm-hmm. okay um and we'll we'll get back to China because I know that's where you're going but the sanctions are wor- working I hear a lot of uh criticism of uh from not only our the, my you know my my army buddies um uh, but also uh some of some of the friends I have that have russian roots um and I think most of my army buddies are just uh um a little bit um apprehensive of of looking for successes in the current administration Mm -hmm. um but it's these are these are sanctions that have been in place some of them for a long long time and um my friends with russian roots think that they're just hurting the, the common russian more than they're hurting anybody and they're right all right but that's that's who's going to make a difference in the long run, unfortunately.
0: I, mean, I think that's kind of the goal, right? If I cripple your people enough, maybe they'll do something about you or withdraw support at least. But the
2: the, the Kremlin's had, uh, at least since uh, 2014, so almost 10 years, uh, to prepare for um, the, the effects of, of sanctions. They know what we can do. They know what we have in our kit bag yeah. and, and we're going to use all, all, all of those. So yep. they've, they found ways in the last 10 years to manipulate the system. Yep. And, and it, so it's not, it's not hurting as much as it, it, it could. It's still, it's, it is you, and you will see here in the next six months. Um, uh, I think the cap on, um, on, uh, oil barrel prices is really really gonna bite here, here um, in the next uh, in the next few months what do you mean by that um, go up no 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 come they, down. they can't they won't be able to sell uh, to certain countries uh, over a particular limit and okay. they, they need the money they're in a, they're at a point now where they need the money and um, could use you know, a 50% bump in the price of uh, of oil and they're not going to get it on the world market Um
0: Okay, so that cripples them even more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. of course.
2: So those sanctions are going to start really, really um, having an impact. And um,
0: are the oligarch sanctions and seizures helping? I thought yeah, that might do it. Absolutely,
2: absolutely, That's what's helping these these cracks form. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, some of them are impacted more than others. Um, certainly, um, when the numbers wash out, um, it's it, they're going to be losing zeros. Um, um multiple zeros uh in their in their net worth mm-hmm. um yeah that's uh, yeah and, and that's that's why i think um we're i do i think we're closer to the uh, the end than we are
0: now but mm-hmm. here's my question so and, and, and i know you don't have a crystal ball, but what i think is if vladimir putin is who i think he is even when that all starts to work and starts to break down i still think he becomes maybe even more dangerous do you not
2: no yeah ab- absolutely, so, absolutely so, so so what
0: what's the off ramp there where we can say no more war and he reta- retain some sort of power to save save face like how's that even yeah, i don't even know how that
2: works um i think most people will say that there are three options Either he gets what he wants in Ukraine or enough of what he wants uh, for political survivability. That's option one. Option two is um, he's losing at such a rate where it it just looks as if the only option he has is to use low-yield nuclear weapons on the battlefield, um, especially to, to hold on to Crimea um and then he he does and he ends up with some sort of a victory
0: um what and like keep Crimea and or yeah or use low low low-yield nukes to move all the way through and take Ukraine
2: NATO's not gonna let that happen right okay so that's that's that's, I can't, I think that's pretty obvious now to them as well, to the Russians. That is well. not going to happen. Yeah, no. so there, that's that could have been a plan at one one time. Uh, obviously, the Scorchers Earth plan that they put in place already, uh, they didn't care about, you know, saving uh, any of the infrastructure in Ukraine for future use. They might have been the first month mm-hmm. as they were rolling in. They thought they could be in Kyiv and in uh, in three days
0: thought they'd just fold yeah yeah. but that
2: that that, that didn't happen so they, they obviously they've had to change their their, um, their strategy mm-hmm. um, and the third option would be that um, the will of the Russian people uh, to sustain the not only the current course but um, what might be the inev- inevitable course um, the will it will uh, dries up and, and they decide that they would rather have um, someone else representing them on the world stage. Um, I'm I'm in the camp that that's what's going to happen. That they're not going to, they're certainly not going to get what they want. I mean, Commander-in-Chief's already said, yesterday he said, in Poland and in um he um, said, that we're in this. Uh, this this is a Ukrainian victory. We, we will not allow Russia to win. All right. So uh, there, the borders aren't going to change. I, I don't I don't think, um, and those areas in Donetsk and the Donbass and and Luhansk I think are going to be pushed back to Russian Federation and Ukrainian borders. You know, previous to 2014, those are autonomous republics. Uh, they'll, they'll figure it out. Um mm-hmm. you think they'll
0: get Crimea back that way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was well, Russia's just going to be a loser then in this whole thing. Well, Vladimir Putin they, and the people of Russia for they, sure. They
2: they already are. Yeah, yeah. A year into this, um no one thinks that uh Putin has any successes uh, other than uh, keeping his, you know, profile and his face in the news for, forever, which counts for something. Yeah. Um n- no one thinks that this is a uh, uh strategic success, or or certainly the the tactical success in any any sense, any sense of the word.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think China just holds off to to ensure they're not going to align with the losing side? Or do you think that they recognize utility in Putin for uh, stability? And that's what they're looking for?
2: I, I think China's interest is um, h- how this impacts the United States and how it impacts our, our interests in uh, with with China as well. So they're, I, that's why I don't think they've they've jumped in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't see you won't. I don't think you'll see um, you know senior leaders with senior leaders um, you know pl- you know planning war strategy or anything like that. Economically, you'll I mean. You'll see them together, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. I think they got something coming up here in the next week. Um, lethal weapons, supplying lethal weapons, is certainly something that he he wants. That Putin wants. Um,
0: He's near peer. Does he not have the same weapons that we have? Who? Putin. No. No. So not peer, just near. Gotcha. Um. I, like I assume that they. I assume that they did. We.
2: We don't have a peer.
0: We just have near.
2: We have near peer
0: competitors. Even China's near to us, huh? They more near.
2: In general, generally speaking, yes. Um, if you if you want to get into particulars, um, I would suspect a, a lot of cyber experts would say that we're near a peer to mm. to China. Mm. That they have uh, they've surpassed us. I just read an article today that said. Mm. Um, one of our senior military leaders said that we could not compete with China, uh, in shipbuilding. Hmm. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a great headline grabber. If you read the article, you'd probably see, yeah, we can't, we can't pump out the number of smaller ships that they, they do on a regular basis. Um, I don't think they're building aircraft carriers that will, that are going to rival, you know, ours. Um, uh, overwhelm ours anyway sure um so I, I didn't read the article i just looked at the headline and thought yeah, i know where this is going this, mm-hmm. yeah this, this the is the only get- thing that
0: worries me about china is the amount of um like intellectual theft intellectual property theft like to be able to steal our schematics for our warplanes, that's a problem you know what i mean that's a problem and that makes us near peer at best Because if they have everything that we have, because they're stealing it, which I'm not saying they have everything, but they have a lot of it. There's stuff I know they've stolen that they're using right now. You know, Um, and do we know what all they're stealing? Do have they stolen all? You know that that's what makes me. Because if they're stealing as much as you know is being reported, some two trillion dollars of intellectual property theft. What can't they steal? What do we have a secret from them?
2: I'm um, certain we do. Um, okay. Okay. They are prolific in um, industrial es- espionage, as far as a- and, and and defense espionage as well. Um, so yeah, they they probably have m- more information than any other country um, yeah. Yeah. that that we don't share with. Um, but um, we we keep up yeah we we keep up uh th- can they counter some of our capabilities better than than anybody else on the globe Pro- probably uh but um i'm still i'm still in the camp that uh our capabilities
0: you think they're near peer to us or we're near peer to them personally
2: um on from a defense uh, perspective yeah well, they're they're near peer to us okay uh, that yeah they haven't they no i'm not it would be awful i mean war in general is 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 awful but a war with china would be would be awful the worst yeah Yeah. it's just that and no they don't want it and we don't want it so um
0: well what about taiwan
2: taiwan is a question absolutely is a question um if ping is in uh enough in power long enough where um he gets desperate and says, you know, this is something I hung my hat on, you know, 20 years ago, we got to make it happen. Um, maybe, uh, but I think he's seen enough yeah. in, in our capabilities uh, already to know that um, if, if he took control of Taiwan, he... He wouldn't hold it, yeah. and that if he took control of Taiwan, I think it would be a big, a big question, mm-hmm. um, just because of, of you know where it is and where the capabilities that he has our vice where ours are, um, and we're enhancing our capabilities in the uh, in in the area as, as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, even if it's just as a deterrent, um, yeah, he that's. I, I really don't believe it. he's looking for a fight with the U.S.
0: Um, I think they're so economically tied to to us and us to them that it would just completely shatter everybody's economy to a point of maybe like starvation and and like mass problems in the countries.
2: Right. And which leadership do you think could care less about that?
0: His. That's right. <laughs>
2: So that's true. Not as much of a deterrent as as it is, okay. as, as it is for us. It's certainly a consideration. It's certainly a consideration. But um, if he hung his hat on on on, on taking back um, Taiwan, um, it's there's no cost great great enough for him to. To not do To that. not do it. Yeah. I but mean, that I roots, just,
0: roots all the way back to Mao and why they didn't do it in the beginning in the first place. I mean, that's neither here nor there. But
2: I, I, I really don't think that he's looking for a fight. I, I, I don't. I, he's he's looking to look as strong as he can. I mean, they were regional power for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now they're a global power. Um, and, you know, a, a strong China works in our favor sometimes. All right. Um, somebody's got to get a handle on uh, on North Korea. Mm. They're in. A, they're in the best position to do that, so um, we're going to count on them to, uh, to 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 leverage their position and their.
0: Um, See, that's the things that I don't think about. A strong China, China can leverage their region. It's a balance of power thing. And balance it out, yeah. so we and have can't be don't have to be over there. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: I only won today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, man, what's next?
2: Um, you know, I uh, I did happen to break it into three things. I, w- the one thing I did want to make sure that uh, I, I I mentioned was uh, a uh, confidence, capability, and, and, and capacity. The three C's that, that um, I, I like to um, bring into any discussion about... Um, assistance to you know foreign militaries Mm -hmm. whenever we do that um you can bring um weapons platforms in you can bring ammunition in you can bring uh training in and all that that the builds um uh capability first uh then if you have enough capability you build capacity all right capacity capability and capacity are, are big deals once you start impacting a uh, foreign military or any any military to, to include ours yeah, from a capability and capacity perspective and the folks that are involved in that process recognize how much has been done to enhance those two things capability and capacity the next c is confidence mm-hmm. all right you have those three things and ukraine's got them now Right, they're building their capabilities. Have been for a year. Now they're starting to realize that they've got some some capacity that'll allow them to sustain operations. All of that has been building their confidence, and their sure. co- their confidence is off the charts. Especially if you compare it with the what they're looking at on the other side. Not, not even, not even close. I mean, you see it in any interview. Com- common people, lawyers, doctors, mm-hmm. um, farmers that are out in the front lines now—they're doing something completely, completely different, and and they're confident in what they're doing. Whether it's operating a drone or operating a uh, uh, one-five-five, it doesn't—it doesn't make it. They know what they're doing they're, now. They're they're professional soldiers now. Yeah. Um. So th- that's th- those those three things. Whenever I see something, and I see a new platform introduced, or I see, a, uh, you know, um. A million dollars worth of artillery rounds being being pushed out. I mean, I, I understand that's a part of the three C's is for me, anyways, um, uh, capability, capacity, and and, and coincidence. Um,
0: coincidence or confidence? Confidence.
2: Confidence. 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 <laughs> Slip of a um, Where you asked where it ends? Um, we're we're starting to look at war crimes now. And you saw the vice president uh, talk talk, talk uh, a couple of days ago about um, name, naming them. That's official U.S. policy now. Um, they're, uh, they're 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 going to be held accountable, um, and uh, they're going to have to pay reparations. That's that's going to hurt their economy even further.
0: Um, it's going to be like um, the Treaty of Versailles. We're going to have a panel come together and
2: um, Nuremberg trials. Or like. Nuremberg yeah. trials. Um, I don't know. I don't think it works like that any, uh, uh, the same way exactly a- anymore. And, you know, bringing, you know, Kremlin leaders to trial is problematic anyways, most of them would be in absentia, I think. Um, but it's still it's, it's symbolic. And, you um, yeah, you got frozen assets. There's, there's talk about using those frozen assets right now to start reparations in, in Ukraine. Um, and that that
0: may very well be. Now, nah, who what? makes that policy though? Who's going to make Russia do that? Um, or is this you saying after this is resolved, that's going to be
2: in, internationally? It'll it'll go to a tribunal of some 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 sort, and um, uh, the decision will be made to okay. Yeah, Russia will 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 hate something like that probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, NATO's going to look a lot different in the end. Already is looking different. Uh, you've got uh, non-aligned states that are that are saying, "Hey, I want in! I want yeah. in now." Um, NATO border with Russia just got 600 kilometers longer. Okay, um, and that's that's going to that's going to continue to uh, to to, uh, to happen. That's going to continue to have a, an impact on uh, Russian security policies and, and budgets. We just need to get to the point where we can work well enough with them, so that they understand that, um, yeah, lots of countries are on lots of countries' borders. They're not at war, all right. Uh, If they were at war, the fuse is short. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. all right. But 21st century, you don't get the luxury of uh, buffer states anymore. That's especially if you're the aggressor. Right. All right. So that's...
0: Um, and you think it ends in Crimea. I do.
2: I do. I have said that for uh, a long time. Makes got, sense to me. I, I'm not the only one. Obviously, it's thinking about something like that. Um, but uh, that that would be where I would make my final push. And yeah, that's where I would make my final stand, probably. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. I, I think. I don't think um it makes sense to split forces. Um, if if Ukraine could afford to to open two fronts, a uh, Southern front and an uh, eastern front hmm. to, to keep Russia occupied on, on, on two different fronts. Um, but I I don't know if Ukraine's capable of doing that right right now. Capacity wise? Uh, uh, yes. Capability-wise, perhaps. Capacity-wise, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure. And that, uh, man, that, that opens a lot of eyes um, in, in Russia and in, in NATO. When something like that happens, it's like, wow, this is happening. Mm-hmm. All right. And then Russia's going to have to make a decision. Russian people are going to have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, are they okay with this happening? And starting fresh after this? Um, or do they want to continue to push for what some people are, are, are calling a reconstitution of the uh, uh, Russian Empire or the, the former Soviet Union? Um, I, my, again, I'm in the camp that the Russian people are going to make, a, uh, make the right choice. I'm not putting all my egg, eggs in that basket, um, but I think we can continue to shape what's going on. NATO and Ukraine, um, to the point where the Russian people, uh, those that are influential enough to make decisions, um, will find the types of leaders that they want to represent them on the world stage. Going
0: forward, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, 90 minutes. Was it really? Went fast, didn't it? Yeah. I look forward to- a a, soapbox
2: out in front of me. It's going to take up 90 minutes.
0: I look forward to more conversations in the future, and I really do appreciate you coming on and just giving us what you have as far as answering my questions. And to my community, this is the closest I can get to the horse to get the word from the horse's mouth, somebody that's been there, understands the culture, understands the language, and has spent a lot of time studying, working, being in and around other militaries. And um, spent time inside of Russia, so you know, from the bottom of my heart, me and Matt, I appreciate you coming out here and, and doing this. And I look forward to more conversations, especially offline. But if we can, if we can gin up more as this goes and kind of track the progress of uh, of what's going on on that side of the world, I'd love to do that yeah, in yeah. the future. So
2: oh, my, my pleasure to be here. Anytime I can help brother out like this, this is uh, this is that's the reason I did it. Um, and uh, yeah, the landscape's going to change. And the next, you know, every two weeks, there'll be something else to talk about. So i see you a couple times a month at the, at the post. Um, we, we get into a conversation that you think is worthy of uh, putting out in the podcast. Just let me know.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rick, I appreciated it. Um, and guys, till next time, Choices, Not Chances.
2: Well, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening to Choices, Not Chances podcast. Please share, like, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Choices Not Chances Podcast.
0: Thanks and have a great day.
2: Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also a large selection of AR-15s. Or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15s. Glock, SIG, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at LouisianaGunShop.com.
0: Not too far. Your marketability. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's funny.